So I want to talk tonight about wholehearted devotion to Christ. I want to talk about being all in, the complete giving of ourselves to Jesus. Paul urges us in this verse, Romans 12 verse 1, to offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. I don't know what imagery that evokes for you. When I hear the word sacrifice, it sounds painful. It's not something I necessarily gravitate towards. But Paul chose that language for a reason. And sometimes you have to go backwards to go forwards. And we have to go back 2,000 years to kind of understand what Paul means by living sacrifice. Because Paul would have had in mind the Jewish temple of his day and the great bronze altar where so many different offerings were made every day. Sin offerings, guilt offerings, meal offerings, peace offerings. You don't need to know what they all are. Um, But the question is, what type of offering might Paul be referring to when he speaks of living sacrifices? Well, it's not a sin offering. A sin offering was where an Israelite would bring a lamb to die in his place where he had broken the law. That's not what Paul's talking about. We're not called to be a sacrifice for sins. Only Jesus could die for our sins. Sin's been dealt with. And we come to God by grace alone. Nor was Paul referring to those other offerings I mentioned. No, the type of offering Paul is talking about when he says living sacrifice is something called a burnt offering. A burnt offering was usually a voluntary offering given by an Israelite to honor God. And you didn't give a burnt offering because you'd made a mess. You gave it because you wanted to as an act of love and worship. You'd bring a ram or a goat to the temple and every part of that animal, that offering was burnt up on the altar, except for the skin, which was the priest's payment. And that's why it's called a burnt offer, offering, because the whole animal was burnt up. This was not the case for the other sacrifices where only a very small bit of the meat was burnt on the altar. But with a burnt offering, it all went on because a burnt offering symbolized a life fully given in wholehearted devotion to God. It was an act of worship expressing complete surrender. The animal on the altar actually represented the Israelites' life being placed on the altar of God. And because it represented wholehearted devotion, burnt offerings are described in Leviticus 1.17 as a sweet-smelling aroma, pleasing to God. That's what Paul's talking about here. He says in our verse that as living sacrifices, we are pleasing to God. That's the reference to the pleasing aroma of a burnt offering. We see this in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians as well, where he describes believers as being a sweet-smelling aroma to God, another reference to burnt offerings. And so when Paul in Romans 12 urges us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, he is inviting us to put all of our lives on the altar before God. It's an invitation to radical surrender and wholehearted devotion, to completely give our lives as an act of worship, a sweet-smelling aroma unto the Lord. Paul is saying that we should be all in. 
And in the verse, he says, this should be in view of God's mercy. We offer ourselves in view of what Christ has done for us. Jesus was our sin offering, but he was also our burnt offering. He gave all of himself in wholehearted devotion. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That reference to fragrant offering, that is Paul identifying Christ as a burnt offering. Burnt offerings were given voluntarily, and so was Christ's sacrifice. He chose to give it all up for us. He did not have to die for us on the cross, but he chose to. He did it out of love. The cross itself was an altar. It was a form of altar, and Jesus laid himself down upon it. He gave all of himself as the Lamb of God, and his sacrifice was pleasing to God. It had a fragrance. He gave it all up for us, and we're called to give it all back in return, in view of God's mercy. We love because he first loved us. Our lives should be a love offering to God. The burnt offering, as I've said, is a voluntary offering. It's our choice whether we go to the altar. But if you choose to go there and if you choose to give your life to the Lord, then you have to be all in. There is no holding back in a burnt offering. When King Saul fought the Amalekites, he was instructed by God to destroy all of their animals. But he and his men kept back the best of the captured flocks because of their great value. They kept back something from God. And Saul was rebuked for it by the prophet Samuel. And God actually took away Saul's crown, took away his kingdom. Holding back, being disobedient, cost Saul everything. And his reign ended early and it ended badly. We can never experience the fullness of our callings unless we put it all on the altar. The Apostle John wrote, Love not the world or anything in the world. We have to put it all on. Money, career, ambition, relationships, everything on the altar, we should put it all on because we're called to be all in. A long time ago, I was an undergraduate at Oxford. I was at Somerville College. I read history. And I'd grown up with a faith, but I'd say it was not deeply rooted. And when I got here as a student, I quickly drifted away. I had no real commitment to God, and I just got swept along with the social life in college. And I really ended up just going my own way, the kind of classic way of the prodigal. And the result of that was that I got lost for years. In my independence, I made a lot of bad decisions, and I ended up after university in the wrong jobs, wrong relationships, just wrong everything. And it wasn't until my kind of mid to late 20s that I found my way back to faith. But having to correct course at that stage after many years involved a lot of unnecessary loss, pain, and difficulty. And I really regret getting lost along the way. You can always come back into the arms of grace with God, but sometimes the walk back can be hard and painful. My message tonight is for everybody, but I am particularly reaching out to any students this evening. And if I could give advice to my younger self, it would be this, don't 
drift from the faith. Put your life on the altar before God. Surrender absolutely everything to him, including your university experience. Give Jesus your wholehearted devotion because relationship with him is the precious pearl. It's worth absolutely everything. Once we've placed our lives fully on the altar, then we learn to wait on the altar. We learn to stay on the altar. We learn to wait on the altar. And we wait until the fire falls. There is an unchangeable principle in Scripture that fire always falls on sacrifice. When David built an altar for burnt offerings on the threshing floor of the Jebusite, the Lord answered him and fire fell from heaven onto the offering. When Solomon dedicated the first Jewish temple, he made many burnt offerings and 2 Chronicles 7 records that fire came down from heaven and consumed those offerings. When we place our lives upon the altar, that is when the fire comes. But often we have to tarry, we have to wait before God in prayer for that fire. St. Teresa of Avila said this, our role is to lay ourselves on the altar, but God's role is to send the fire. We have to learn to tarry before God sometimes for prolonged periods of time in absolute surrender. I'm not talking about striving or works, I'm talking about waiting on the Lord until the fire comes. It's the waiting that actually puts that pull on heaven. It can be the hardest thing to do, but it has the richest of rewards. We wait on God and he moves on us. We see this at Pentecost. Jesus laid himself down on the altar of the cross. Fire falls on sacrifice. And in response to his sacrifice, fire fell from heaven on his disciples several weeks later. The disciples were also waiting on God in prayer. Wait in Jerusalem. They were waiting for that fire to come. Their lives were also on the altar. They were tarrying for that fire. And then the fire fell. Tongues of fire on their heads. And everything in this world changed forever in that moment. Christianity was birthed in a fire that has never gone out. So we're called to put it on the altar and wait for the fire. What I've learned is that fire brings transformation. Fire cleanses, fire purifies. It, it kind of removes the dross. It burns out our impurities. John the Baptist said Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire, that he would come with a winnowing fork in his hand to clean out the threshing floor and separate the wheat from the chaff. The fire separates that which is born of the Spirit from that which is born of the flesh. The fire burns up and it purifies us of everything that is not of God. But holiness is predicated on surrender. We have to lay it all down before God, the good and the bad, and let the dross be burned away. Only the fire can touch what I term our self-life that hidden part of ourselves that can be ruled almost invisibly by some form of self-interest. Even when we're going to church and praying and operating in our gifts, there can still be a deep part of us governed by self, and it takes fire 
to reach that part of ourselves and bring it to death. But it involves a complete opening of our hearts before God and asking him to pass his fire through our hearts. The animals used for burnt offerings in the temple would be opened up and inspected by the priest to see if they were in good order. In the same way, Jesus, as a symbolic burnt offering, had to be inspected by the priests before his sacrifice. He was inspected by their questions in the temple in the days leading up to his crucifixion. The priests and teachers of the law tried to find something wrong with him, but they couldn't. And we are also inspected and refined by God as we come before the altar. We cry out like David in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. John described Jesus in the book of Revelation as having eyes that blazed with fire. His eyes are upon us, the gaze of his fiery love. It's a fire of devotion, but also a fire of testing and inspection. Psalm 11 verse 4, God observes everyone on earth, his eyes examine them. Jesus looks at us with the fire of love to see if we have that same fire in us. Jesus didn't see any fire at all when he turned his gaze towards the church in Laodicea. They were lukewarm. They had no fire. So they were warned that God would spit them out of his mouth unless they would buy gold refined in the fire. That means they should pay the price for fire. They should pay the price to become ablaze with fire once more. And if they would just get their fire back, then God promises them they would be clothed in white and their eyes would see. In other words, they would be purified, refined in that fire, and their eyes would be open to God. Matthew 5 verse 8 says, The pure in heart will see God. In the fire, our eyes are open to God. There is a revelation of God in fire. Fire itself points up to heaven, and there we see him as the burning one. A.W. Tozer said this, when we experience fire, then God is no longer a theory. Deuteronomy 4.24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He's jealous for us to place all of ourselves on the altar. He is jealous for us to experience his fire. He has a jealous love for us. Song of Songs 8, 6 to 7 describes God's love as a blazing fire, a mighty flame that cannot be quenched. His love cannot be quenched. Has our love been quenched? This fire of love has an awakening quality. It doesn't burn you up, it wakes you up to divine romance. Jesus wakes up his sleeping bride with a kiss of fire and it leads us into ever deeper union with Christ. Will we be woken by his fire? It's in this place, this place of fire, this place of purifying fire, this place of being woken up by his fire that God often releases a commission God is speaking to many people I've noticed in the, this church at the moment about callings. And if you're unsure about calling, my advice is to come into the fire. God's fire brings God's commission. It starts with drawing close. It's a voluntary offering. 
Moses saw the burning bush from a long distance away. He could have walked on, but he turned aside. He went over to see it, and there he encountered God. The burning bush was an altar. That's why God said to Moses, Take off your shoes, for you are on holy ground. And on this altar, Moses was called to lay down his life as a burnt offering. Moses was 80. He didn't want to be a hero. He thought that if he went back to Egypt, he'd be killed. But he was invited to surrender his life on that altar. And in that fire, God gave Moses his commission to lead the Israelites out of captivity and into the promised land. Fire releases our commission. Will we turn aside like Moses? Will we draw close to the fire to receive our commission? You have to turn into the fire to carry the fire of your calling. Fast forward a few years, Moses and Joshua have successfully led the Israelites out of Egypt into the, not into the promised land, into the desert, and uh, they constructed the tabernacle, the tent with the altar, and that's where they would meet with God. And Exodus 33:11 says that when Moses left the tent after prayer, when he left the altar after prayer, Joshua would remain inside. He remained in the tent. He lingered inside the tent. He kept waiting by God, by, on God, by the bronze altar in the tabernacle, that place of fiery presence. Joshua waited on the Lord. He stayed in a place of fire until he had been so transformed that God could trust him to be the leader who would lead the Israelites into the promised land. The more territory you want to take for the kingdom, the more you have to learn to go slow and linger like Joshua, waiting by the altar, waiting for fire. Moses would go on famously to disobey God and struck the rock with his staff instead of speaking to it. He acted out of anger. He acted out of his flesh. And God removed his commission to lead the people into the promised land and placed it on Joshua instead. Moses, the man who left the altar early, lost his commission to the man who would not leave the altar, Joshua. Many others have been commissioned in fire. Ezekiel had a vision of an immense cloud of fire. He saw God on his throne like a glowing metal fire burning around him. And in that fire, Ezekiel was commissioned in his prophetic role to the nation. Isaiah had a vision of God in the heavenly temple and a seraphim, a burning angel, took a live coal from the altar and placed it against Isaiah's unclean lips. The fire from that altar cleansed him. It purified him. And he was commissioned as a prophet to the nation. He would serve God with his mouth, so it was his mouth that had to be touched by fire. Where do we need to be touched by fire? When Hannah had the child she had longed for, long hoped for, Samuel, she committed him to serve at the temple for the rest of his life, to be looked after by the priests as a child. His life was effectively placed on the altar as an offering to God. He was given over as a burnt offering, as a living sacrifice. And as a child, Samuel would lay down and sleep by the burning altar in the temple every night. And it was in that place, lying by the altar, lying by the fire, that God called his name Samuel, 
and woke him up. He was woken up by the fire, and there he was commissioned as a prophet and given his first prophetic word to Eli. It's when we're waiting. It's when we're lying down. It's when we're completely surrendered by the altar, by the fire, that the voice of God so often comes and the commission of God comes. King Saul had held back his wealth from the altar. It was Samuel, the man who slept by the altar, who wouldn't be moved from the altar, who challenged him and removed his crown. Spiritual authority comes from that place of abiding by the altar, in the fire, in complete surrender. Samuel passed on the crown to the next one chosen by God, David. And we know that David was a worshiper. He had spent years on the hillsides as a shepherd, burning incense to God on the altar of his heart. David was a burnt offering of wholehearted devotion. He was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And God chose him and commissioned him as the new king of Israel. And one of David's most important actions was to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the most significant altar in history, into Jerusalem. And he set up a 24-7 worship around it. It was David's tent. And it was sacrificial, non-stop, wholehearted worship. The man who held back from the altar saw lost his crown and commission to the man whose life revolved around the altar. Do we hold back from the altar like Saul? Or do our lives revolve around the altar of God and his fire like David? The fire of God purifies. The fire of God commissions. And finally, the fire of God releases great power. When Moses was commissioned at the burning bush, his ordinary wooden shepherd's rod became supernaturally invested with great power and authority, so much so that if he held it up, the Red Sea would part. There was more power invested in that staff than in the whole of Egypt. The fire that fell on the altar of Elijah in his contest with the prophets of Baal, that fire destroyed all of the power of witchcraft and Jezebel over Israel. It broke the curse over the nation. When the fire came on the disciples at Pentecost, it broke Satan's hold over the crowd's minds. It broke through their mockery, their pride, their unbelief. It broke their hearts and 3,000 came to salvation that day. Power and authority are released when the fire comes, but fire will only fall on an altar. No altar, no fire. If you want more fire power as a Christian, if you want to encounter more of his fiery presence, the fire of his voice, the fire of signs and wonders, the fire of breakthrough, the fire of his favor, the fire of his face, the fire of his kiss, the wild fire of revival, then first embrace the altar. Give all of yourself like a burnt offering until you become the sweetest fragrance in the nostrils of God because fire falls on sacrifice. This has been the experience of many Christians throughout the ages. Charles Finney was one of the leading preachers and revivalists of the 19th century. He led thousands to Christ but he had to learn to stay on the altar, in the fire, at all times. That was his secret. Any time Finney started to feel dry, 
he would go alone into the woods and he would stay on his knees and he would wait for however long it took until he felt the fire come upon him. He had to have fire. No fire, no great awakening. He had to become fire to spread the fire. When we get in the fire, we become fire and we start to blaze like that burning bush. We become what we behold, we replicate what we adorate, and others will start to gather around that fire. A.W. Tozer noted this, there were thousands of other scrubby thorn bushes in that desert, but Moses only stopped to see the one that burned. When you're the one that burns with Christ, others will stop and turn aside to look. They will be drawn to the fire. This happened at the Azusa Street Revival, one of the most important revivals in world history starting in downtown Los Angeles in 1906. An African-American man called William Seymour and seven others were waiting on God for an extended period of time when the fire fell. It knocked them off their chairs. They started speaking in tongues. And every day they kept meeting together and the fire became so hot it started to attract a crowd Thousands came to see what was happening and they were hit with that fire when they got there, even the skeptics. One eyewitness, Florence Crawford, said, the fire fell and God sanctified me. The power of God went through me like a thousand volts. Non-Christians saw flames coming out of the building they were meeting in. They saw the flames in the spirit, but they didn't realize it was in the spirit And several times the local fire department got called out to put the fire out. It was this fire, this fire that lit the fuse for the explosion of Pentecostalism. The fastest growing stream of Christianity in the 20th century was birthed by waiting on God for fire. That's the best church growth program I know. So this is my invitation this evening. How badly do you want the fire? How hungry are you for the fire of God? What would happen to us if we let the fire do its full work in us? What kind of consecration would we experience? What kind of commission does the Lord have for each of us? What kind of fire will he release? Don't miss out on what God has for you. Don't hold anything back from the altar. Learn to wait on him. Learn to linger like Joshua. Learn to tarry in his presence. Give yourself wholeheartedly to God in the fire of devotion as a living sacrifice.